listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 65. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. More than anything, this show is home to honest conversations between real people. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to get you to fix yourself or your life or anything like that. You won't find any magic life hacks here. Instead, it's a space to just be real, to take a deep breath and talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that I personally think isn't talked about enough. Like our fears, challenges, and insecurities, our secret dreams, how it really feels to try and make changes in your life, what happens when you don't accomplish a goal, and just the day-to-day truths of being human in a crazy world. As your host, it's so much fun for me to sit down with everyone from athletes, writers, and entrepreneurs, to parents, coaches, activists, change makers, world travelers, adventurers, artists, the list goes on and on, and to then bring those conversations to you. And fair warning real quick that this is an adult podcast, which means we often cover adult topics and use adult language. My hope for you as a listener of this show is that it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want to know that I'm not alone. Something else that's unique about this show is that it's now 100% community supported, which means no ads, no sponsors, and no outside influence. Just us here together sharing stories. The show is made possible by listeners like you, who have pledged $8 or more per 8-episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon, and not only does your support go toward the funding goal we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016, which means beyond the end of this season, season 8, but your support also earns you access to exclusive bonus content. The bonus content includes conversations and interviews with wonderful guests that aren't aired publicly. Plus, you get access to the Squad Pod, a shorter version of Real Talk Radio where the guests are you, the members of the community. And coming in mid-December, there's something extra special happening for those of you who are in the Patreon community. A handful of your favorite past guests will come back to share a Real Talk end-of-year recap, including details about their 2016 successes, failures, and lessons learned, as well as dreams and goals for 2017. And all of that will only be available to our Patreon support squad. So to get access to that, plus over 20 hours of other bonus content, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And to the end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our community members who joins me for a quick and hilarious game of Would You Rather and shares how great it is to be part of our Patreon community. So if you believe in this real talk revolution, like I do, and if you're in the position to be able to support the show, I can't tell you how much that would mean to me. Right now, the show is scheduled and funded through the end of 2016, so basically through the end of this season, and if we meet our funding goal by the end of the year, then it will be able to continue into 2017 as well, and you can totally help make that happen. So thanks so much for your support, and now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Amanda Berlin. Amanda has over a decade of experience in the public relations world, and she now aims to use her pitch powers for good. She helps entrepreneurs write their web content, tell their brand story, and spread their message in the media. Amanda believes that we all have something important that we're putting out there into the world, and that it's our responsibility to raise our voices so that the people who need us can find us. She's the creator of Pitch School and serves as a mentor in the online course that teaches entrepreneurs how to become a publicist for their own brands, pitching interviews, guest posts, and product placements, that kind of thing. She's also the host of the Pitch Podcast, where she strategizes with entrepreneurs on their next media pitch and speaks to journalists, news and podcast producers on how to effectively pitch in their medium. 
In this episode, Amanda and I dissect what makes a killer pitch, using as our example the pitch email that she wrote me to pitch herself as a guest for the show, which was, by the way, perfect. She shares stories and lessons learned from 12 years of corporate PR work and tells us about how and why she left that world in order to go into business for herself. We talk about lots of other things too, like journaling, the power of naming what's true, and about how to change your story. Amanda is a delightful well of honesty, and I truly loved this conversation. I hope you do as well. Awesome. We are rolling. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. I'm psyched too. It's always, it's funny. So the kind of rate in the range of guests that I have had in the last, whatever this is, season eight. So all of these episodes, it ranges from people who are like my super best friends to people who I've never spoken to before. And like, it's always fun to get to know someone like obviously you and I don't know each other. So it's always kind of like, okay, this is our first date. Like, let's talk about all the things. (laughs) We're going to be best friends by the end. Yeah. I mean, hey, that, that has happened in previous episodes. (laughs) Um, Okay, so on that note, let's see, what do I want to know? What's something that you think that people wouldn't necessarily know about you just from following you or your work online? Like, if I really knew you, what's something I would know? Um, I, oh gosh, I'm so, I'm pretty transparent out there, though I spent a lot more time on social media than it might appear. <laughs> I'm constantly reading and reading up on people and things and, and you know, stalking. So, but I think that also kind of leads to something that people might not know, which is that I, um, I, I think I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I have social anxiety, but, and I don't want to say I'm an introvert because that sounds cliche almost, but like whenever I am about to go to an event, like on Sunday, uh, we're recording this a little bit earlier. So, you know, this is mid November on Sunday, I'm going to, um, I'm a sponsor at an event and I have to have a table and it's like this beautiful business networking, um, like supportive business, holistic business event. And I'm psyched because I've done things like that before, but I remember the first time I ever did something like that. I was really nervous by the prospect of like just having to be on the whole time and engaging with a large group of people. And I think that that's maybe the thing that people might not pick up about me is that I really think hard about you know, making connections. And that sometimes maybe leads me to get a little anxious before, (laughs) before like big group things. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I, you know, I, the social anxiety thing is funny. I feel like that myself, I think, I mean, I almost wonder how much of it is a product of like being, spending so much time online because you can be Mm -hmm. a lot more thoughtful, right? When you have time to just compose things in writing or do, you know, that it's sometimes if you're doing so much of that, then transitioning back into, oh wait, this is a real three-dimensional world, you know? Right. Yeah. That's funny. Um, tell me about the first hour of your day today. What'd you do? Oh man. Okay. So I got up at six and, um, I have, I have a three-year-old, so I don't know if she hears my alarm. I doubt it because I put her fan on and I close her door, but however I work it, she wakes up the exact same moment I do. And we, we do not sleep in the same room. So, <laughs> so I, 
woke up, I walked, the bathroom has two entrances. So I walked through the bathroom to get into, to get to the kitchen and her door is like right next to the bathroom door. And as I was walking out of the bathroom, she was walking out of her door. So I met up with her. I, I think I frightened her because she didn't expect me to be like right there when I walked out. And we just kind of spent the first hour of the day together. I made her lunch. I um, I put on NPR and we just kind of hung and she always asks to go watch TV, but I want her to stay in the kitchen with me and hang out because I take her to daycare at, you know, 730. So um, those are kind of sacred hours. In an ideal world, I would wake up, I would have an hour in the morning to myself where I would wake up at five, which is sounds absurd. And I guess it still sounds absurd to me because I haven't committed to that. But I have done that in the past where I wake up at an absurd hour and meditate and journal. But that has not been happening lately. <laughs> that would be my ideal first hour of the day. Are you a regular journal person? Yeah, I try to be. I actually had this really um, this really powerful journaling activity that was given to me by someone who was a devoted 12-stepper. And she knew that I was looking for something to like invigorate my journaling as kind of like a um, an anchor. And so she gave me this exercise that she called a prayer wheel. And I don't know why it was called that, but it had like four components or I, I kind of reduced it to these four exercises. So lately I've been doing this at night and I used to do it in the morning. You journal about your desperate pleas and dire needs. That would be the first section. Then you journal about your uh, prayers for healing for yourself or others, then about resentments. And even if I'm not feeling particularly resentful of anyone, I just write down if there's any energy that I'm harboring that I may or may not be aware of, please release it so that it no longer impacts me or anyone else. Because I know that I have very powerful energy, especially like people can tell what my mood is when I walk into a room. So I, if I'm holding anything about, so, you know, negative about someone else, I know that they're feeling it. So I just pray that that is released. So that's the third one, resentments. And then the fourth one is miracles needed. And you just, you know, I just write down like what my my wishes are. So that was always, that was always something that was um, my morning routine, but I've been trying to do that in the evening. And I really do wake up feeling much, better when I do that. Like, I feel like, okay, I concluded my day and this is a fresh start. That's such a beautiful exercise. Like I'm a little like, wow, okay, I definitely need to steal that and start doing it because <laughs> I mean, right, the state of the world right now, I feel like that's mm -hmm. very necessary. Miracles mm -hmm. needed. I mean, for me, journaling, it's one of, like meditating, it's one of those things that like sounds really good and I think that I should do it. And for whatever reason, maybe because I'm rebellious to myself anything that falls uh -huh. under the category of you should do this then I don't want to do it just because I feel like it's something that I should do. <laughs> that sounds I so sad yeah um but mm -hmm. yeah those I, shoulds are such naggy little 
efforts. Right? Like any, <laughs> anything that winds up falling under the like, here's five things you need to do to live like a healthy and happy and grateful life. I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to do anything. Yeah, things. exactly. But exactly. everything, but you just said, I feel like that could, you know, it could easily be a powerful practice, especially for me, because I like the idea of something guided. I mean, I have yeah. gone on, you know, journaling binges before or morning pages or any of the things, but I feel like sometimes I'm more likely to give up on it when I just feel like, well, I don't know what to write about, but having kind of like a directed prompt or like categories Mm -hmm. or what you just said, I feel like is really helpful. Yeah. I have boxes and boxes of journals that will have like great, great swaths of time that have, you know, it'll be like September 18th, 1998 and then the next journey the next entry will be like three years later (laughs) yeah so and then and those three years are filled with shoulds which are so like that feeling is just so obnoxious to like be in this internal struggle with yourself so that the should actually does sometimes motivate me to do the journaling like I'm laying in bed I've had, you know, I've been up since 6 a.m. and it's 11 and I just want to go to sleep, but I know like the should is going to keep me awake. So I should just do it. (laughs) Yeah, for me, that works once I've made like a real deep actual commitment to something Mm. that I want to do, right? The external should of like, oh, this is something I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe that'll work for like six days, but it won't actually work. It has to be something. It's like how I'm a runner, right? So that's how I feel with running where like the commitment to myself is enough that I can be like, you really like shouldn't skip this run today. Like it'll be enough to get me (laughs) to do it because I actually want the thing. But I always find that I know it's funny in the last year, that's one of the I think big, it might well small, but with big impacts, personal growth kind of changes that I have made is letting myself off the hook for anything, any mm-hmm. of those like shit. Like you know what, I'm not meditating. I'm just not. Like would I feel better if I did? Yeah, probably. And like, but until there's like the desire is enough, and I feel like I never make changes until like the pain of not changing outweighs whatever my oh, yeah. obstacles are to the change. And like, if that right. hasn't happened, why am I giving myself a hard time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something as well, which, you know, maybe we'll get into later in the conversation, that torture, that like that internal torture we inflict on ourselves is, you know, once we become aware of it, then there's that turning point of like, wait, I don't have to be doing this to myself. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to suffer, (laughs) you know, but I have found, I mean, for better or worse, I don't know, maybe this is not how it is for everyone else, but I can't speed up that process that it really like it does have to get to the point where I'm so sick of myself I'm so sick of having like the same conversation you know I feel so bad for my best friend and my husband and my mom having to listen to me bitch about the same thing over and over like finally Mm -hmm. then I'm gonna change but I can't like I've tried to make that happen sooner than whatever the breaking point was but I don't know it's like change is hard right or starting a new habit has that like really it's it's tough so you have to want it more than all of the other obstacles and right I think about yeah Well, that's, and in so many areas of my life, like in my career and in my relationship, and and I'm sure there are other things, but those two really come to mind. There's a process. There's just a process you have to go through. And it's not, you might know where you want to end up or how you want to feel or whatever, but you you have to go through what you have to go through. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you journal when you were younger? Because I feel like the best of my, like I still have journals from, I mean, like middle school, basically, that rereading them is the highlight of my existence. It's so amazing. (laughs) There are like off-Broadway shows that are built around that where people, or like, you know, um, 
I don't know if it's their readings, like in the typical vein of like a poetry reading where people come with their childhood diaries and read <laughs> their entries. <laughs> that's amazing. I Wait, have, do you live in New yeah. York? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's where I'm from. So I'm like, I feel like that would totally be where something like this would yeah, happen. Yeah, that's a New York thing. I'd probably like other, you know, other main cultural hubs as well. But that's definitely something I've heard of here. And to answer your question, I did on and off. I did on and off. Like I remember having the diary with the little like lock and key, but yes. I don't think I took it seriously. And actually when, you know, when I really got into it was in 1999, I studied abroad for a semester. I was in college. I studied abroad for a semester in Madrid, Spain. And I grew up in New Jersey. I went to college in Washington, D.C. And I traveled, you know, I traveled with my family to like the Caribbean or whatever. I'd never gone abroad, like really abroad. And I've never, I had gone away to sleepaway camp every summer. But, you know, in my 19 year old mind, I was like, no problem. I went to upstate New York every summer for two months. I've been away from my family. But like, that was such an insulated experience (laughs) compared to going to Madrid. And so I had a really hard time being someone who feels things so deeply and just feeling isolated and not speaking the language. I lived with a family and they were lovely, but it was just a very hard, you know, six months acclimating to all of that. And that was when I started journaling every single day just to like get through. And I realized that my journaling, when I look back on it, was really like weather reporting. Like I was just saying like what I did and it wasn't a reflection of how difficult the time was, even though in my memory, I remember how much I struggled emotionally. But um, so that was really interesting for me, even though the habit was so... um, you know, so pronounced and so there, it wasn't a deep dive, even though I wished it was. <laughs> That's so interesting. That actually, that is like semi-major realization. I mean, not really, but <laughs> through what you just said, that because uh, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that it was almost like a substitute for connection, right? And yeah that I'm thinking back on times like when I was this like little prolific journaler, right? In middle school is when like the things that I wanted to talk about, I I didn't either have the communication skills. I mean, it was all like Mm -hmm. angsty romance stuff, of course, right? Like about all the boys (laughs) in my class. But that, and then when I, I don't blog anymore, but when I started my blog, it was also born out of a time where I just felt like no one in my life wanted to actually like have good deep conversations. Like I couldn't, that is, it's funny. It's always like the, the better my relationships are and the stronger communicator I am in my real life, the less likely I am to be journaling. That's interesting. That's a really good observation. And I think that would hold true for me as well. Yeah. Uh, sleepaway camp. So where did you go? I am also someone who went to sleepaway camp for like eight <laughs> weeks every summer. I feel like that's a very yes. East Coast thing. Mm-hmm. I went to Camp Kindering. It was in Hopewell Junction, New York, outside of Poughkeepsie. Yeah, I went to, well, so I lived, I went to middle school in England and um, the summer after third grade, my parents basically put me on a plane and were like, okay, you're going to Massachusetts for the summer. Like, bye, see you in eight weeks, uh-huh. which at the wow. time I didn't think was that crazy. But looking back, I'm like, seriously? Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a decision. Like, you're going to another continent now. Have fun at this camp wow. you've never been to. And that's young, right? You were like eight? 
however old you are after third grade, yeah, I don't know. My, my mother had just taken me to get a haircut that she thought was this like high fashion and maybe it would have been on an adult grown woman but it was basically I had short hair like a boy which when you're that age there really isn't much to differentiate you right. in general and you're already feeling really subcon- you know, self-conscious so I got to camp and people did not know if I was a boy or a girl and um, at my age oh, that was traumatic no. for me. Anyway, what was the name of your camp? I was called Crane Lake. Uh, oh, okay. I was in the Berkshire Mountains, but yeah, I think it's, man, it's I. I really don't know anyone else that went to sleepaway camp. I haven't heard anyone mention it in a really long time since you just oh, brought it up. Funny. Yeah, it was a huge part of my childhood. I went from, I went for like ten summers. It's a long time. I worked there too. Oh yeah, that's so funny. I used to, I ran a day camp. I was a director of a children's camp for five oh. years, six years out in California. Wow. Um, so, do you plan on sending your daughter to camp? Um, I think it's a valuable experience. I would definitely send her, you know, I, I'm not a planner, you know, like these are all things that I could have used in my answer to my first question that you asked me, (laughs) something that people wouldn't know about me, but I do, I can't like visualize really her as a young adult (laughs) or anything like that. So I don't know, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I really feel like anything is possible, you know, like maybe she'll want to, or I will want to travel with her or, uh, you know, something a little more out there. I don't know, but I would never be opposed to her going to sleepaway camp as long as I could afford it. (laughs) It's really expensive these days. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like for me, it was such a good experience in, I don't know, Mm -hmm. independence and being away from family and having to figure out, okay, like you're in this new place and you don't know anyone and you don't know what the rules are. And I was very much an indoor kid. Like I was not a sporty (laughs) kid at all. So then you get to camp and people want you to like do archery and ride horses and like be out in the nature. And I'm like, ah, I'm from Manhattan. I don't really know what this is. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think for that reason too, I think it's I think it was great. Yeah, there were so many things that you try at camp, even like social things and, and you know, relationship things that you don't experience otherwise. Yeah, I agree. And you wind up developing these really intense friendships because you're living mm-hmm. with these people, especially I'm an right. only child. I mean, well, I have half brothers mm-hmm. that are quite a bit older, but I was raised as an only child. So then all of a sudden you're sharing your living space, which is something that I had right. never done. And anyway, it's funny. You're bringing yeah. up all these good memories for me. <laughs> so on, let's say on the work side of things, what projects are you working on right now or what's most important to you? Um, so right now in my business, I'm working on developing a couple of, so I, I do communications and I work with entrepreneurs to help them tell their story, write their web content. And because I have a background in publicity, I also teach them how to pitch themselves to the media. So what I had been doing for the last, I don't know, four years or three, uh, three or so years was working with clients one-on-one mostly. And also I had some uh, nonprofits that I consulted for. And what I'm moving toward now is developing resources to help entrepreneurs do what I can teach them to do, but without me. So, you know, really like a, a product that they could download or engage in. So, Right now, I'm working on my second, it's actually, I guess, my third product, but um, in the vein of like a really accessible, downloadable like guide or ebook, it's my second. So that's what I'm, I'm really excited about. And I'm doing some like next level stuff, bringing on some uh, staff that could help me up, you know, scale up a little bit. 
And um, so that's that's what I'm really excited about in terms of the current state of my business. So obviously, I mean, I want to go back and through like your whole work history. And I think your story Mm -hmm. is really interesting. But before we get there, just on the pitching side of things. So it's funny do hosting a podcast, right? Because you Mm -hmm. get like lots of people obviously that want to be on the show, which is really flattering, of course. And I have, uh, you know, a form on my site, people can submit themselves. And I think there's, uh, I'd have to go back and look, but there's only been a couple of pitches that I have, like of people that have then wound up as guests on the show for any number of reasons. I mean, not that everyone who's pitching isn't lovely, right? I don't want to say that, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, you're looking for something specific and you, you know, I also usually say no to people who are pitched by someone they work for. Because for me, I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is a two hour chunk of time. It's not like someone's traditional 20 minute pitch your thing, media stop, right? So I'm like, they have to have listened to the show to know like what's going on. But you're pitch not surprisingly was the best that I have received like yes! it, was, it was so good that, like as I was reading it I was like this girl has done her homework like she like and so it was like very clear to me that you would be a good guest if that and, and so I, I would love thank for, you yeah I'd love for you to talk about kind of what your process is for I mean you can use the one you did for me as an example but writing like a pitch that people say yes to like it was it was so good <laughs> Thank you so much. That means so much to me. And I don't take that lightly, like, oh, I hear that, like, I, I better be or whatever. Like, I, it means so much to me. So I appreciate it. Because I think also, and, you know, this this kind of goes into how I would answer a question, you want to honor the work that the that the person you're pitching is doing. And I really, I I feel like if I did my job, you also felt like, God, she really appreciates what you know the work that I'm doing here and and isn't just using me to get whatever you know whatever exposure that that might be the return for the contribution yeah, you know what I mean absolutely well I mean but that's you just pointed out an interesting thing like anything anything that someone's pitching themselves for like that it's coverage or to be on something it it is a mutually beneficial thing right and you have right. to understand that from the beginning like obviously someone you know for me I think of when I'm a guest on a show it benefits me one just because I find that enjoyable I like talking to people about mm-hmm. stuff so selfishly it's fun but it gives more exposure to my work right so of course right. but in order like I want to be a really good guest for them so that they think that it's a successful episode of their show like that it is kind of it has to be equally beneficial right and that's something that I always tell my clients when it comes to reservations around putting themselves out there is like you you know I just pointed to the fact that like you want to honor what the person is doing but you also want to recognize that they're not on this inaccessible pedestal either. They kind of need you as well in order to do their job. They need you as a contributor and you want to show up as a valuable contributor, but they need, they need someone who is going to show up as a valuable contributor. So why not you? Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, and even you never know, you know, there's people that have, I mean, the backlog of people that have pitched is like huge. And there's some that I'm sure will be on the show at some point, just because I haven't responded Mm -hmm. yet doesn't mean that I'm not going to, right? Mm -hmm. And that like, yeah, I, I mean, every season I need eight spots filled and I want them filled, you know, with, with people that are going to be great guests and that my audience is going to like, but it's, you're essentially, when you're pitching yourself well, you're doing them a favor. You're doing work for them, right? And that Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. And you never know what's going to come out of it. And someone that if you wouldn't have pitched yourself, we probably would never have met. And it's like, yeah, I think that sometimes it can seem really intimidating. I feel that way even when I'm asking people to be on the show. Sometimes I get really nervous. Mm. I'm like, what's the the worst that's going to happen is they're not going to respond or they're going to say no. Like the sun's still going to rise in the morning if this person does not want to be on my podcast. 
know? Yeah, exactly. And and that's a another good point to make is that the, you'll have the same outcome whether you pitch or not or or not. Like the worst case scenario is the same as if you don't send the email at all. So like why not just send the email? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the worst case scenario is they're not going to get back to you and you'll hear nothing, which is the same thing that'll happen if you don't pitch yourself at all. <laughs> totally. So this speaks a little bit to kind of the the perspective or the confidence to have when you're doing it. But then for you, what are some of the tactical steps that you keep in mind when you're writing a pitch? Yeah. So the other thing you mentioned was that you're making the person's job easier by giving them an idea for the show. And I think that's really something that people might miss is that you're not pitching yourself. Like in an interview like this, I'm pitching my myself and my story, but I need to pitch it in a way so that you can see how I fit into your framework, your, you know, your storytelling style, the topics you cover on air and all that. So in that sense, you want to you want to aim to make the interviewer's job as easy as possible by outlining for them, this is how I fit into your structure. This is what we can talk about. So provide an idea, write this, you know, you want to kind of spoon feed it to them so that they can really see how you fit into the larger picture of their their media. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I my friend Julia, who used to host this wonderful podcast called Running on Ohm, she doesn't anymore. But um, hmm. we used to talk about because we would sometimes do collaborations. And we would talk about basically like how because they were both long form kind of conversational interviews. And we would talk about yet how they were still really different and how her strength was essentially as an interviewer where like she really didn't share very much of herself at all and it was you know people who had these incredible stories or had done these incredible Mm -hmm. things you know that she could really draw that out of them kind of question by question and it wasn't about her at all and that worked really well whereas this show it's more of a conversation that I'm less interested in having oh my god this super famous person that did all these things I'd rather have someone that's really interested in having kind of a back and forth conversation just about Mm -hmm. life and about messy topics and that's not for everyone right so Mm -hmm. even like to your point really understanding what the thing is that you're pitching to right like what it is that they do and if that's even the right fit for you yeah exactly or if you want to be part of that you know there are there there it's it's a two-way street every at every single stop <laughs> you get to decide as much as the decision maker gets to decide if you want to be part of this so um yeah making it making it easy for them and also um yeah just honoring what they're what they're doing and making a connection and also you know providing potential talking points, providing potential topics you could talk about. These are all things that just kind of add grist to the mill and make the decision a little bit easier. I mean, I'm sure you could speak to that on, on in terms of how you decide whether or not someone's going to be on the show. But, um, you know, if you can kind of see it in context, I assume that that probably helps. Yeah, I mean, and for me, and I, I, who knows, people, I'm not like giving people a course in how to pitch to be on the show. Like, that's not what this is about. <laughs> but like, I think this applies to lots of different things, right? Like in, in every, basically every career, every different situation we're always asking for things and pitching for things right Right. maybe it's not as you know concrete as you're pitching a magazine or pitch you know but like this idea I think translates what we're talking about I think translates to lots of different things so for me what really stuck out about your email and I mean I've obviously gotten other good pitches too but um were a couple things one the subject line of the email was basically your proposed 
title for the episode in the format that I title my episodes. Like they're right. always like the person's name, right? Like Amanda Berlin on, and then it's usually like three or four different topics, right? That's just, that's how, so like you had already done that work for me that I'm like, oh my God, I don't have to, have to come up with a title. Like this is amazing. And then, you know, the other things, like you said, you obviously suggested topics we could talk about, um, but it was clear that you were familiar with the show, right? Like, even if you just listen to one episode, like, you know what's happening. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that there was a very human, it was clear from your pitch that you were willing to talk about, like, failures and mistakes and things like that, that you weren't trying to basically spend two hours, like, talking about how perfect you are, which is, like, it's a hard (laughs) thing sometimes to convey, but that's what I'm looking for, is people who are willing to be like, no, no, life is hard and messy sometimes, let's discuss. Right. Yeah. And talking about how perfect I am would only probably fill like 30 seconds. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can give you 30 seconds later if you would like to take a stab at that. That's There's funny. not a lot of material on, on the topic of perfection. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just I, I don't know. I thought I wanted to bring that up because it definitely definitely stuck out to me. And obviously it's like in like it was almost like as I was reading it and knowing that like PR and everything like was your background. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I could see it happening. Like I knew what you were doing. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm into this. Let's go. And I, I mean, I emailed you back within two seconds. It was like last spot of the season. It's yours. Take it. Awesome. Thank <laughs> so you funny. so much for that. I appreciate the feedback and the confirmation on the, the modality and the, you know, my method. I just, I really appreciate your willingness to also like dissect it and tell me what worked. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. So, and it makes me want to hear more about, I mean, you worked in corporate PR for years, right? Yeah. So I worked, so my first job out of college was actually Um, Well, my very first job out of college, I'll just go all the way back there, was for three months, I worked in the World Financial Center at Merrill Lynch, and they had their own internal corporate like cable intranet channel. And I worked as a production assistant at Merrill Lynch for their, and this was, I guess, you know, pre 9-11, pre recession pre everything where they had like a full on broadcast center dedicated to just broadcasting financial news to their trading floors with like an anchor person and everything. So it was kind of, it's kind of funny thinking back on it that that's, that that was a thing. I don't know if it that's still is. So fun. That's so funny. The World Financial Center. I grew up in Battery Park City at Gateway Plaza, which is like maybe two blocks from that. So that's really oh, funny. Yes. Uh-huh. And my brother actually even lived in Gateway Plaza for a short period of time. That's funny. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. And then my yeah. my weirdest job. Well, no, I don't know. My weird. Not that what you just said is weird, but the connection will be. So uh, the summer after my sophomore year in high school, um, I worked on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange as a runner, a job that I assume has been replaced with technology at this point so (laughs) it's like 16 year old girl like working on the trading floor was basically one of like three women it was a really intense experience but anyway so yeah really interesting yeah so then from there I after those three months I I knew that I wanted to move on from there but it was like my first my first job I actually moved into Manhattan before I even had a job so when I got that job I was like I'm taking it but I'm still gonna look so at that point I went to um, on 42nd and 10th which at the time was like the wild west there was like garbage tumbling down the road like tumbleweed like it was there was not it is not what it is now where there's like high rises and all this, but there was a production facility there that was called National Video Center. And it was actually this iconic, um, you know, product television production facility in its day. And I don't know if you remember the movie Tootsie, but that was actually filmed in that 
in this production facility because Tootsie took place on like a soap opera set or something, I think. So they use these studios and it is just um, like studios and editing suites. And this was, again, before you can like edit your, you know, sitcom on a laptop computer, you needed like a vast, huge, like interface to do this tape to tape editing. And so I worked in, I found like, I just kind of stumbled into this job where I worked basically press junkets, but they were all done via satellite. So what that means is, and for anyone that doesn't know what a press junket is, I'm sure it's common knowledge, but, um, when a celebrity has a big project and you see them doing interview after interview and you see the same like backdrop and this they're wearing the same clothes but they're doing interviews with all different people because the celebrity is staying put and doing publicity for their new movie but the they give opportunities to a number of different journalists to come in and meet with them and do an interview. So what we did was that kind of thing, but we did it all via satellite. So we had relationships with all the TV networks and they would send us their, you know, movie of the month, movie of the week star or whoever had the new sitcom or whoever had the new special or a new book or whatever was associated with the networks. And we produced interview tours for their talent. So it was a really exciting job, but because it was what it was and, you know, it was, you know, at that time and I was 22, I was making probably like, I I think I was making like $22,000 a year. It was like nothing. And, but it was so exciting (laughs) because I was meeting famous people and I was working in television and um, my best meeting was Paul McCartney and I got actually got to meet him twice. Once I thought about it, I was like, oh my God, I actually met him two times, but I worked with Glenn Close and Holly Hunter and Kathy Lee Gifford, who I actually really didn't like before I met her, but then ended up being the nicest person ever. And that was really exciting, but that was also my introduction into publicity. So from there I went into the corporate world because I realized that um, I actually ended up being recruited by someone that I worked with at that company to come over to a large PR firm that was actually in Times Square at the time. And it was also kind of an exciting job because it was this big international family-owned owned firm. So they were, you know, very prominent family in the PR world. Um, and I was doing the same kind of thing, electronic publicity within the context of like a regular PR format. So again, clients would come to our little department and they would bring like their new uh, pharmaceutical or their paper towel rebranding or whatever. And they would say, get us TV coverage. And then from that really formed the rest of my career. I went to a, another firm that really specialized in that electronic publicity piece and PR firms would come to us because we specialized in getting cl- getting our clients on like the major network morning shows or local television, doing interviews like that. And I was, you should jump in here if I'm like going on too long. No, I'm into it. I'm into it. I love it. Okay. Yeah. So what I did at this this small firm, I went over there in at in around 2006. And what happened there was. I worked my way up to become editorial director. So so in that position, what happened was clients would come to us and say, it would be like a pharmaceutical company or a consumer products company. And they would say, let's take pharmaceutical as an example. They would say, here's our 
um, new FDA approval. Here's the medical studies that we submitted to the FDA that got us approved. Here's the doctor that we hired to be our spokesperson. So get us on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Just go, just do it. Yeah, Yeah, right. So I would have to take all of that information and like read medical studies and distill the information that would be interesting to the regular, you know, television viewing audience and look at this spokesperson that they hired and figure out why anyone should care about this guy and what he has to say about this drug and make it relevant to the real world to, you know, to morning television, which is like, you know, 10 easy dating tips to snag your new man, or like, here's what you should dress your puppy in for Halloween. You know, like it's, it would be, you know, very fluffy news that I would need to kind of massage our client's message to fit so that they could get the coverage that they wanted. And as you might imagine, over time, I I got really good at that. Like I actually really loved, you know, humanizing those kind of messages and saying like, well, actually this is why this will make a difference in your life. So that was interesting, but it just, and I got good at it. I was able to do that kind of work in, you know, depending on how technical the information was in, in like quick bursts and I would get it done and I would feel like I accomplished something, but I started to burn out. I just, I was doing a lot of writing, which I think burns you out really quickly. And the culture at the firm that I was working at was like imploding and it was horrible. So I wanted to move on. I knew I always had this entrepreneurial bug, um, but I just couldn't figure out what I was going to do. So I was like, all right, I'm going to stick it out here. But I was kind of miserable. So I started diving into a lot of personal development work. And I I worked with a lot of teachers and coaches and all different types of, you know, all different facets of like the personal development world. And I was, I was in a coaching group that Gabrielle Bernstein had here when she had like eight people in her, you know, in, in her in like an ashram in the East village. And I worked with a teacher named Patricia Moreno, who taught a fitness, who teaches a fitness format that pairs affirmations with working out. So I got really attuned to this idea that the way that you talk to yourself and the way that you perceive your experience actually makes a difference (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. way that you feel in your life. So with that, I was, you know, I was still in this job that I hated And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to stick it out here, I have to change the way that I bring myself into this office. Like I need to, I, I just, I need to show up differently. So I, in retrospect, I realized that I developed this like three pronged approach to going to work. (laughs) So I needed to, um, I needed to accept that that was the way that this office was. And this is where I was at this moment. And I just needed to, like, I just need to accept it. I wasn't going to change the culture of this company. I'm, you know, one person. And really the only way to change it would be in one of my later prongs. So I'll get to that. (laughs) So I had to accept that this is the way things were. I had to forgive my colleagues for whatever, you know, on a daily basis for whatever, you know, bad behavior, 
perceived bad behavior or whatever it was that they did in the you know, in the past, if we had challenges, I needed to forgive. I could not hold grudges and I needed to be the light. That was like the big thing was like, I wasn't going to change the culture, but I could not subscribe to the, you know, nastiness that maybe was pervasive around there and I could be different. So in all of that, I, I felt like I was, you know, kind of bringing my like newly found spiritual approach to things into my office. I was, I felt like I was living in integrity, even though I wasn't like, you know, see ya guys, I'm going to live in integrity because I don't like it here. I'm leaving, you know, like I felt like I was being prudent by not just like leaving without a plan, but I still could live with myself because I was showing up differently. And then in 2012, I, in, on January 13th, 2012, I remember because it's my sister's birthday, I got let go because they were just hemorrhaging and they just massively downsized. And I was like, all right, I guess, I guess this is my moment. You know, like this is, this is what I was waiting for kind of was like the, this, this sign or, you know, a direction sign in terms of what am I supposed to do next? So I had enrolled in a coach training and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a life coach. And I had enrolled in the training like four months earlier and it had just started. So I went like both feet into that in that direction. And I really, and I said to myself at the time, like, I don't want to do communications anymore. Like I, I want to leave all that behind. Like I'm done. And it was really with that kind of like, begrudging attitude. Like, I hate this. I don't want to do it anymore. This sucked my soul and I'm done. And then I tried to start a business without paying attention to the skill set that I had, which is foolish in retrospect because it's gold when you have that kind of, when I realized as I came around to it that like, oh, wait a minute, I'm I actually have something valuable in my back pocket that I could use to put myself out there and grow my business. And I didn't realize that until like a year later. And once I realized that after approaching, so for that whole first year of entrepreneurship, I was doing, um, I was doing communications work as a freelancer, but also with that mind of like, I don't want to be doing this anymore. But then I got pregnant in, um, 2013. So like a year later. And I also was the breadwinner for our family at the time. So I was like, I have to figure out what I'm doing here. So I approached a nonprofit that I really loved. And I was like, look, I can help you guys. I have all this communication background. You have a need for someone like me. And the director was asked me to put together a proposal. And as I was putting together the proposal, when he first asked me to put together the proposal, I was like, why do I have to do this? I'm so annoyed. Like, I just want to be a life coach. And then I started writing the proposal and like brainstorming what I could bring to them from my communication skill set. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. Like I was getting so jazzed by, by, brainstorming how we could talk about what they do and how we could reposition their course, their course schedule, because they're an educational entity. And I was, that was a massive light bulb moment for me. And that it came right in time because that was in 
uh, like March of 2013. My daughter was born in in October of 2013. And it just like all clicked for me. Like this is something I can bring to people who might not be able to describe what they do or who they are in a way that feels accessible to their audience, even though they might not realize that that's why they're struggling to connect with their audience. Totally, so, totally. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. There's so much good stuff in like <laughs> everything. No, no, no. Don't be. That was amazing. So, but something that I really want to underscore that you said that is one of my, I mean, at this point, I've said this before, I feel like I'm a recovering self-help addict. Like I went way too deep down that rabbit hole and like in having distanced myself from it a little bit, I, one of the things that makes me the most crazy is the advice of like, if it's not working, like just quit or like value yourself enough to like not stay in the cubicle and like leap and the net will appear. Like it's, I mean, it's from such an unbelievably privileged, I don't know, like there's, you you can't just quit. Everyone can't just quit their job. Like not everyone has what my mom calls fuck you money, right? Where you can just, if something doesn't work, you just, okay, well I have all this money in the bank. Like that's, I feel like so, like while the sentiment might be appealing in a lot of these things, it's not realistic. Like I have bills to pay. I can't like pay my bills on my like self-righteousness and integrity because I walked out of a bad situation, right? So right. Like what you said about, okay, I can't leave this job. I can't afford to leave this job. What, and I'm not going to like be able to revolutionize this whole company or fix their problems or do whatever. So what can I actually do to make right. a difference? It's almost like, I feel like it, we we have we tend to have this really black and white approach where the only options are stick it out, be a victim, complain a lot, be miserable. Like that's all you do to your friends and families, bitch about how much you hate your job and feel sorry for yourself. Or, you know, like tip the table over and walk out, right? Like that there's right. actually a huge middle ground of like, okay, how can I change my story? How can I, like you said, that three-pronged approach, accepting, you know, the things that were happening, like forgiving people, going in and like being the light, bringing that into a situation. I don't know, like I think there's something really powerful there that it doesn't mean you have to just be resigned and never make a change, but that right. also there is an like a lot, I almost think that it's the intermediary step that a lot of us, myself especially, like I often don't want to take because mm-hmm it's hard. Like it's harder work. Mm -hmm. It's way easier to bitch about something or to quit, right? Like to just walk Mm -hmm. out than Mm -hmm. it is to actually have to take personal responsibility for how I'm showing up in the situation and be honest with myself about where I'm contributing negativity, right? And like how I'm making it worse, but like via the stories that I'm telling myself. So I don't know. I thought that was a really powerful point. Yeah, no, I really, I think Thank you for acknowledging that that is challenging because it it is and it's also uncomfortable. Like it might, it's not what we want. We want to be able to tip the table over and be like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. Like we visualize and dream of that day when we can give our notice. But so it is hard. It is, but it's also like, you can, this is where kind of like being a spin doctor and someone that like can massage a message comes in handy because you can convince yourself and, or like build the message around the fact that like, okay, wait, I might not be in an expressly service based profession here or, or job where I'm making humanity better, but I'm making my little corner of humanity better. I'm making the energy in my cubicle better. And that 
is a being of service. Like you don't have to go out and quit your job and become a life coach to be of service. You can be of service by simply being a better person and bringing something better into your existing situation. Totally. I mean, I also, one of the things that for me in times in my life when I don't know that I ever sat down and said, you know, this is my three-pronged approach, or I don't know that it was <laughs> as conscious as what you shared, but one of the things that I was always fearful of, which often, unfortunately, proved to be for good reason, is that it can be really alienating to step outside the culture of complaining about a bad situation. Mm-hmm. That if all everyone, your friends, your coworkers, your people, if you know, or whether it's politics or whatever, if the culture is just like let's complain about stuff, that even if it's negative, is a real deep source of bonding. And when you're going right. to choose not to engage in that. I don't like it can it can be isolating and not to say it's not still worth it or that people won't eventually like rise up to the bar that you've set. I think oftentimes that does happen. But that's I don't know. I think it's not talked about, but that that is a scary thing and why people roll their eyes at the like, just be positive, have a positive attitude, whatever, because it's you were like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, that's fine. But I don't know. Right. Yeah. And you can have real conversations with people that are not complaining and that aren't like, even when, when you said that, what I thought of was like, even our most superficial conversations kind of sometimes revolve around complaining. Like, what's your commute? Like everyone has a commuting story, right? No matter where, where they live, some are more harrowing than others, but everyone has a story about like how you got where you went today. And, and those are usually like, underlined by complaining about traffic, about public transportation or whatever. What was the weather like? Those also like you complain if it's too cold, you complain if it's too hot. So I think that there are ways to have real conversations that don't make people uncomfortable if it's not like, you know, if you're not in in an intimate relationship, but there are ways to ask like real questions. And that's also something I love as a communicator. Like, how do you in my everyday life, I'm I'm constantly on that search for like, how do I engage with people in a way that feels like meaningful, but doesn't feel like too much? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, I think that's, it's a really smart, interesting question. It's something I think about a lot. I mean, on this show and otherwise that it's, you know, almost like a personal challenge to myself to mm-hmm. see options beyond like the lowest common denominator, which I think often is complaining about stuff, the weather, you're tired, the commute, like you said, right? Like that's a really easy thing, especially a first thing in the morning, right? If it's, I recently went back to school, so I see my classmates first thing in the morning and I, what there's those, all those things to talk about, right? Like, that you just mentioned or on like the complete other side of the spectrum it's the like really deep vulnerable intimate conversations that like at some point I mean you have to have earned a level of intimacy with someone right to to do that I think um maybe I have less of those boundaries than others but I still have them you're not just going to start this like soul-searching conversation like over the water cooler right um but that there's lots of other options like I remember a couple weeks ago I went to school and I had just slept really badly and like this, there were just a number of things, right? And the first person that I saw, we were early for class and, you know, she was, oh, like, how are you or something in that vein? And I like had to stop myself and say, okay, in my head, I'm like, well, I could complain about all these things. And I wound up, I'm like, I have to find something else to talk about. And I'm a really avid reader and I was reading something that I was really into. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm reading this book right now. And then we just had this whole other conversation. It was just one tiny thing that like wasn't super, like it wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I guess it was still sort of superficial, but that it was, I don't know. There's always another direction. Like there's something else right. to talk about. Right. Right. It's like substantial superficial. Right. Or just that <laughs> even about something that totally. you cared about. 
Well, exactly. I mean, that's why, I mean, probably the most common, we didn't do it, we could do it now, but like the way that I open the show is asking people like, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Because I feel like that also brings up interesting things. People like to talk about things that they're excited about, you know? And so it's like that reminder, like what you said, the like challenge of communication to like find a way to connect with people that doesn't feel like vulnerability hangover or like too much too soon, (laughs) no boundaries, but also isn't rooted in negativity. And I think I don't know, that's more of an issue. And I'm wondering like how many people are listening to this being like, oh my gosh, yeah, because it's such it's like such an obvious thing, but thing that we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And it's not really something that's easy to answer because I think it really depends on, it depends on so many things. I mean, it depends on what kind of mood you're in at any given moment. And it also depends on, you know, what the energy is like between you and and the other person. You know, like maybe you realize like you can't go there with them. They're not, you know, you have to talk about the weather there. And I think that that's something too, like in our self-help culture, like if we don't have, um, you know, if there isn't like a profound experience in every interaction, we feel like, oh, we didn't make the most of that. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes you just can't connect with everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. And also, that's fine, too. Not everyone has to be your ultimate best friend. Right. 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 And yeah, it's well, and the other thing using this as kind of a barometer for myself and my own mental health, like if I find that there's a string of days or weeks where it's really challenging for me or I am mm-hmm. defaulting to negativity. OK, well, then I need to find a new hobby or do other things. Like if I really mm-hmm. have nothing to talk to someone about other right. than something negative, it's time to make a change, right? Like I do need to read or watch something interesting. Go try something new. Go to a new restaurant. Go like just it's I don't know. It's for me that I'm like, OK, I'm obviously stuck in some kind of feeling sorry for myself situation, which, you know, the other thing with the with the kind of self-help or anything around positivity that kind of gets to me, too, is it's not just about I don't know. There's a difference between being negative in the way that we're talking about and actually needing to talk out hard things or having a hard time. And like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff, though, that's you you do with people that have earned that level of intimacy with you. Right. It doesn't mean you right. have to be this like Pollyanna all the time. Right. Like, yes, re- like reach out, ask for help, talk about things. It's OK to be upset and sad and disappointed and angry and hurt and any of that stuff, you know, but. I don't know that there's absolutely it's not just like the, the, the like cult of happiness. I don't know. We don't, oh, have, yeah. we don't have to be happy all the time. It's fine. No, no, definitely not. And I think once we let us, ourselves recognize that it's so much easier to exist. I actually had an experience. One of my clients is a shamanic energy healer. And I, you know, I was kind of a skeptic about that, but I found it very profound. And one of the things that, um, that we talked about, you know, he also does like, we would have like a conversation about things that are happening. And, and one of the things that he really instilled in me was that we are, however you want to phrase it, we're having a human experience. And part of the human experience is this wide range of emotions. So if you are only experiencing, or you're only allowing yourself or acknowledging happiness, then you're missing it you're missing your experience. You're missing, you're missing it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've all, I think, felt, you know, you go through a time where you're feeling jealous or you're feeling guilt or like any of the things that are just like profoundly uncomfortable emotions. Right. And not only are you feeling them, then you're also 
kind of being mean to yourself about well you should right. feel this way so now not only do you feel the original thing then you right. also feel this like guilt over feeling the thing and I think that that's you know it's 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 a hard thing because I believe essentially both sides of it right because like yeah you also can choose how you direct your feelings and emotions like as you're talking mm-hmm. about with the three-pronged sure. approach and as we're both saying but <laughs> so like that's true you know it's it's like that's true and it's totally fine to be disappointed and to feel all of these, you know, range of things. And to your point, like you're missing out on the whole experience if you don't just let yourself feel your feelings, which is obviously easier said than done. You know, like no one likes to feel bad. Right. Yeah. Well, two things about that. So if you don't feel your feelings, then they're just going to rage back harder. So it's going to hurt more in the long run. The other thing that I wanted to say was what you were describing as you know, you, you feel the hurt and then you judge yourself because you feel the hurt. Uh, did you, do you, are you familiar with Buddhism at all? Yeah. I mean, not, I, I okay. don't know on what so level you're going to go term. to, but yes. No, yeah. They have a term for that. It's called the second arrow, which I think is so perfect because you have the original hurt, but then there's the second arrow of judgment on top of it that you inflict upon yourself. Yeah. That is and completely just, unnecessary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just love that term, the second arrow, because it it just I heard it a long time ago and it just stuck with me. And it's it just perfectly describes that whole sensation. (laughs) So I'm interested. It sounds like you also have, you know, a background in or maybe not background, but interest in whether it's on the spiritual side or personal development, right, that you've like dug deep into this world as well. And I'm Mm -hmm. interested in what I don't know if evolution is the right term, but like your evolution of it has been like, what are the things like the principles, whether it was all the way back from Gabby Bernstein or other things that really have stuck with you, have really stuck with you. And then maybe some of the things kind of like what I was talking about, you know, the like leap and the net will appear that you're like, I can't with that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's similar to what you're describing was like there, there, once you kind of dive into that world, I feel like there is a lot of pressure to like always look on the bright side, which is, you know, it's a cliche, but like, you know, to find, find the silver lining and, and, uh, you know, see things from a different perspective, but, but acknowledging, and I think like, this is something that I've evolved to as well, like acknowledging that just sometimes things just suck is really freeing. And I think that's also part of it is like naming, naming what's present. That was like one of my coaching terms when I did the coach training, naming what's present. That's really powerful. Whether you're just naming it for yourself or you're naming it for someone else, like it really kind of clears the air in like a really interesting way. Like I heard, so right now we're in the wake of the presidential election and I heard this amazing conversation on the radio today. I'm a huge NPR consumer. So, um, you know, that may inform the, you know, the bias of what I'm hearing, but um, there's amazing conversation, a local call-in show, because I live in New York and literally the morning after the election, is it okay if we go into this a little bit? I mean, absolutely go into it. Okay. Yeah. So the the morning after the election, I woke up at like 5.30 and I went to sleep before it ended and I was like, this could, and I, in my prayer wheel, I like wrote down all, you know, what I wanted the, the outcome to be. And I knew it wasn't going to happen, but um, I woke up and I was like, oh my God. And I turned on the radio and they had the host of the local 10 a.m. show who's like, he hosts a show 
that really focuses on local issues. And he has the mayor on every, this was like something new that they started doing maybe like six months ago. The mayor comes on once a week and it's just like a very local show. And so in the morning, the first thing in the morning, they have morning edition, which is like the national show. But when I turned it on at five freaking 30 in the morning, this guy, this 10 a.m. host was on and they were saying like, we're taking calls from people in our area who feel fear, I forget what it was, like fear, disappointment and and whatever because of the election and not because like we wanted a certain outcome, but because they recognized that our region decisively voted in a different direction. So I thought that that was like a nice way to kind of remain objective <laughs> while as a journalist, while also saying like, we're here for you. So anyway, he was on, he, on his regular show, Today, I heard this woman call in who is a Trump supporter, and he had two other people who were also talking to them, and I missed what their designations were because I tuned in after he had already introduced them. But this woman came on, and she was saying that, you know, she's a Trump supporter, and she's lived in a man, you know, lived and worked in a man's world. She works in construction and and development or something. And she voted for Trump because of economic things. And then this conversation totally morphed when she started talking about how her son is in college and she just can't believe it that they are giving kids time off from school because of the grief associated with this election. And she was getting so upset. And all of a sudden she revealed that she had lost a daughter And she said, when my daughter died, my son took his lumps and he went back to school and took his exams. He took a zero on one exam because the teacher wouldn't let him miss it, even though he was at his sister's funeral. And all of a sudden you kind of feel the air like sucked out of these three hosts or experts that are on the other side of this call that this just changed into something different. And very gracefully, one of the women who was, you know, in like on the expert panel or whatever, she came on and said, I hear, I hear how upsetting this is for you, for people to, you know, how you might feel like people are misappropriating the term grief to talk about how they feel after this election. And it just was so, it was like such a page out of um, like a therapeutic type of style and a th- and like a coaching background to just name what she was hearing, that I'm hearing you, I'm hearing how upset you are. And it really like brought, it just was the right response. I felt like I can, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying that, you know, the grief that you've experienced is far beyond what any of us can imagine losing a child. And, and, and you feel like people are misappropriating that term to talk about what's happened in this election. And I just went on that whole tangent, but I just felt like sometimes naming what you're hearing is very healing. <laughs> no, that's interesting. I, I mean, we could go in a totally different direction. <laughs> I'm probably not going to, but I... Uh, what do I think about that? Something for me that's really important, and I've said this in numerous ep- episodes before and other things, is this idea of, you know, for myself, my like, I think most powerful personal growth work is always around getting to the heart of what's true without judgment. Which, mm-hmm. again, is easier said than done. But you're right. There's something that's very powerful about 
naming what's true or like getting to the heart of what's true. Right. Almost like, but in order to do that, I have to release the expectation that something has to that that action has to be taken right like Mm. going back to Mm -hmm. the story you were sharing about that job right that what's true was that that was out of integrity for you and that you didn't want to be there anymore okay that doesn't mean you have to quit it doesn't mean Mm. anything other than that's what's true right it's like it's like we can't even decide the next best step until we're honest with ourselves about what's true and that's why I feel like it's so important to let ourselves feel those emotions that we often want to numb out from right like we don't like feeling jealous like that I mean I, I think I've said that a couple times because that's definitely one for me that like almost pings like a shame factor mm, like there's something mm-hmm, that I find really right. shameful about being jealous like you sh- you should be over this like there's enough mm. for everyone like you sh- what she has doesn't have anything to do with what you have like I know all the right in intellectual things to say right so then when I do feel jealous I'm ashamed of feeling jealous and then I just want to like shove that down and watch bad tv and like eat a lot of cookies right and mm-hmm. like but there's something really powerful about being able to say like no I'm feeling really jealous right now even if I don't say it to anyone else but myself to just like accept that that's what's true right and right I don't know it's a tough practice but I do I agree with yeah. you I think that it's really powerful and oftentimes I feel like that's in like an interpersonal communication, you know, setting, that's all people want is to feel heard. Yes. I mean, that's not all we want, of course, but I don't know, like, I'm sure I obviously have no idea what happened in the rest of that call that you were talking about and what this woman's story is. And I obviously don't agree with her politics, but <laughs> that uh, who knows, like maybe that just that, mm-hmm. like maybe that was healing for her in some way. Like we, I don't know, there is something about feeling like our, we're not being seen and heard that is really yeah. impactful. Right. Absolutely. And you know, it's just funny not to like, not to bring it back to work again, but in terms of, of pitching, that's also something that, that should be incorporated into the strategy is recognizing that the person on the other side is a person and that they have work to do, that they are doing things on their, of their own that are important to them. And when you can connect to like, hey, I saw this article you wrote, or I saw this interview you did, or I saw that you have this new book out or, you know, whatever, then they feel heard and seen. And that goes a long way toward, toward creating a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, just that like humanizing, I don't know, I think about that with email all the time, like, or social media, there's a real person on the other side of that who has right. real feelings like that. It's right. I don't know. Like sometimes we, I don't know what we think. It's just like this anonymous, like, I mean, I guess it can be sort of on the internet, but it's still a real person who has mm-hmm. real feelings. And so much, I feel like, especially on the topic of topic of pitching yourself, right? Or like going back to any version of that, that a lot of our fears are stem from forgetting that like it's just another human being like that's kind of what I have to tell myself when I'm afraid to reach out to someone for them to be on the show or whatever I'm like it's just a person like they this is either going to sound fun for them or not okay like it's not it does not a big deal like they're just we're just real people like everyone's just doing the best they can you know right right and recognizing that you know it's there the stakes are for two things the stakes are really not that high like if they say no again you'll still wake up tomorrow morning and your life will not be appreciably different if they say no. But the other thing to recognize too, is that, um, what was the other thing? (laughs) The stakes are not that high and 
I don't know. It'll That's come okay. back to that, the that middle can be, of that can another sentence. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I assume then through like more than a decade of doing this type of work, you have experienced in any number of ways, like lots of rejection, right? On right. like people yeah, do say no to stuff. Um, <laughs> what are some coping mechanisms or tools? Like how, how have you learned to deal with that? Like how are you better at dealing with rejection now than maybe you were, you know, in your first job or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, well, that, you know, recognizing that, you know, the, the way that this kind of weighs among important things in life and that it's not, it doesn't, <laughs> it's, you know, like, yes, it's important for me to make connect, like in one way, it's very important. Like it's, it it's, I'm so passionate about connecting with people and empowering people to reach out and, and put themselves out there. Like that is so important to me, but on a case by case basis, each individual outreach is not, not that important. So like in terms of the big things in life. So that's one way. The other thing is over the course of, I would say, because what I really thought of myself as in the corporate context was a writer. So I was doing a ton of writing writing pitch material, but writing. So having that, having, having to absorb criticism around that, around my work on a daily basis, multiple times a day from different clients, you know, cause I would present something to a client and they would say like, well, we can't say that. And this is, you know, not the way that we would say it and blah, blah, blah. So that is a not complete non-issue for me in terms of like, receiving receiving criticism like I have a very thick skin when it comes to feedback so that's another thing that just kind of evolves over time I would say so again the more you do it the more kind of inoculated you become against whatever might initially hurt (laughs) and then in terms of um like just getting well first of all more often than not you'll just not hear anything like it'll just be crickets. So that is devastating in its own way, but it's not it's not like someone's going to reach out to you and say like this is the worst piece of shit I ever read. Right. Right. <laughs> so you don't really have to worry about that. Even though it feels like that's that's something that could happen, it's probably not going to happen. And I think that, you know, I would say that naming naming it, naming what's present in terms of like, let's say you do get something back saying like, this doesn't meet our, you know, people can be nasty. It happens. This doesn't meet our, our requirements for what we would put on the air. Um, You know, don't reach out to us again. I've never received anything like that, but like, let's say that's the worst you might receive. That might sting for an hour or two. So like, let it sting again, like feel it because otherwise, if you try to suppress it, it's just going to rear back even, even stronger. So like, say like, okay, that's why I'm feeling this way. And you you might feel off for, you know, a minimum of, you know, 15 minutes, let's say, and let, let it be recognize that like, okay, I, you know, I put myself out there. I did it like that. I did a, 
I did a good job and it wasn't for them. And I think that's, you know, maybe another thing to consider. Like it's not, it wasn't for them. Like we're not, a, we're not a match. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the like underlying principle that I'm taking from what you're saying is this idea that like there's a separation between who you are as a person and your worth as a person and the work that you're doing, which I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm curious now, especially the types of clients that you work with. Um, I mean, it's interesting. So like the word entrepreneur, right? Like there's entrepreneurs in the way of, you know, Elon Musk or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> or whatever. Like I definitely have never been in that, whatever that, I mean, I think that's like the real type of entrepreneur, not, I mean, <laughs> whatever. like what the word actually means, right? Like you're building something bigger than yourself or, you know, whatever. But as, a, as opposed to the kind of more like creative artist, solopreneur, not that it's any less important, but it's, mm-hmm. it really is fundamentally a different thing. And since I've only ever been on like that second side of things, right? Working for right. myself or doing creative things, or even back when I used to do coaching of a different form, right? That it's one of the downsides that I really felt of doing that work is that because you do have so much control over how you spend your time, like all the things that are billed as benefits, right, of going into work for yourself, which are benefits, I think the downside is that you lose the opportunity to build the thick skin and the skills and Mm. everything that you're talking about in an environment that's really meant for that, right? Like maybe you have mentors that you've sought out yourself, but you know, like I've never had an actual performance review because I've never worked in like a Mm. normal go to an office nine to five job. And that's mm-hmm. something that while it could be uncomfortable, that you you don't get used to getting the critical feedback that's given in a way like if most of the time if you're given critical feedback on the internet, it is hateful, right? Or like it's mm-hmm. done in a way that's like is personally hurtful, right? Which I think really messes with a lot of people, myself included, who do creative work online, that like it's not if it's like your boss or in a situation like you know that they want you to do well, right? And it's given mm-hmm. in this hopefully constructive manner that I don't know, I think I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but there's like a whole like segment of skills that I think um, people who work online for themselves don't have as much of an opportunity to build and that sometimes that can make the type of rejection that maybe your clients or, you know, something like that facing more painful, especially when you are doing work that like you describe as like your passion project and work is not a job or, you know, if you've fallen down that, you know, whatever, and you really do love it and you feel like it's your calling and your purpose, that's awesome. But I think it's even more difficult to separate out the work that you do from who you are. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I never thought of that in terms of my own experience, that being in the corporate world for a period of time did give me those kind of coping skills. And, and I said it myself in that whole, um, you know, that whole litany of things about how to deal with rejection that my thick skin developed over time through practice. And, you know, maybe that's just, maybe that is a benefit that I never recognized from being in the corporate world. And I'll just tell one anecdote actually about my corporate experience. This is when I was young and probably, I was probably like 24, let's say. And I was working in a company that was very corporate and they had this, this, um, protocol when it came time for your annual annual review called the 360 degree appraisal. And they gave, um, they gave like surveys to your colleagues to fill out about you. And then they were supposed to return them to your manager and the manager was supposed to like distill them down into a report to give to you or to incorporate them into your review somehow. And so my manager at the time I don't know if she just didn't do it right or 
if she thought this was how you did it, but she literally took what one of my colleagues wrote and handed it to me like verbatim, didn't like censor it or pull out things that weren't valuable or that were mean. (laughs) And I remember one of my colleagues and like, it's supposed to be anonymous, but I, I could tell who it was wrote that I was snooty and condescending. (laughs) And I was like, is that supposed to like make me better at my job? The fact that you just, you know, that you sharing that with me, does that, is that going to improve my, my, is that going to improve the way I do my job at all? Like, I don't, I didn't feel like that was constructive at all because it wasn't, I didn't think it was valid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so that was my first exercise in really being like, oh my God, I, I can reject that feedback. Like I can say, thank you, but no, thank you. Like, okay. I, you know, like, I'm sure there, maybe it was a bad day. Maybe I gave that guy a dirty look or I, you know, said something in a tone, which like I I said earlier, like my energy can be kind of strong sometimes. And, but I know that that's not the way I am globally. So Mm -hmm. I, I reject that. <laughs> no, but I think this, I mean, this is bringing up, it's funny, like all these things that I'm saying about the like skills that you miss out on, I think when you work mm. for yourself, first of all, I mean, that's, this is, these are obviously just kind of like blanket generalizations, right? I'm sure there's plenty of people that work for themselves that have established networks of peers and mentors. This isn't like, I don't sure. know what anyone else's reality is. Like anything else, we can only speak to our own experience and the experience that's been shared to us by those that are close to us, right? So like, if you're listening mm-hmm. to this saying, I work for myself and I practice these skills all the time, like awesome high five, like you're way more emotionally <laughs> mature than I was when I was doing, like starting out doing this work. But that it's, you know, I think about I don't know, like, I do think that this is definitely, like, the detrimental side of this whole, like, fantasy of the kind of work from home, get to choose Mm -hmm. who you work with, like, you can say no to clients you don't want to work with, and, like, yes, that's true, yes, it's great to not have to interact with people that, for whatever reason, is not what you want, but I think that, I don't know, like, I think it makes us, like, too soft, or, like, too... I don't know, like, I I think about this a lot in terms of, um, when I think about the things that I miss about living in New York... Mm-hmm. Like, and I think about how like having grown up there and only until now having lived in big cities, like how that shaped me, even just the act of taking the subway, right? That's like, I mean, that's what pretty much everyone does, right? Or some kind of public transportation that you're in contact with so many people all the time. Like that is even a skill, you know, then I, I lived in Los Angeles on and off for a long time and people are a lot more, this is my car, this is my bubble, <laughs> like don't get in my bubble. And it makes you... I don't know. This is, I mean, maybe just me. I think I was in a lot of ways, like I'm a better person in a different context where I'm not so where I don't have the luxury of being so particular about who and what is in my immediate environment. Like, mm-hmm. I think it makes mm-hmm. you more tolerant. I think it makes you yeah. just like a better communicator, better able to lots of things. So I don't know. I don't know yeah. if there's any point to what I'm saying other than like when it goes back to the like entrepreneurship side, if I were to go back and kind of do everything again, that's something that I would somehow seek out. You know, right. have it, having more of an ability somehow to develop those kinds of skills. Right. Well, that, yeah, that's so interesting too, because I also wonder if the, that kind of skill building is accrued over the course of entrepreneurship when you have to learn how to do all of these things for yourself. Like you have to learn how to be a salesperson and therefore you may acquire the skill of being able to absorb rejection without without, you know, losing your shit, or you have to be able to show up for an interview or pitch yourself to the media or 
do your bookkeeping or whatever, you know, whatever it is, there's so many hats that we have to wear as entrepreneurs that in some ways, maybe there's, you know, there are different skills that we build, like being multifaceted and having a lot of different expertise and, and rejection, I'd like to think comes along with that or taking rejection well, comes along with the other skills that we're forced to build as entrepreneurs who do a lot of things for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's true for people who stick with it. I guess I'm wondering, mm-hmm. like, how many right. people quit or, you know, get like mm-hmm. really disillusioned with it a lot. I mean, a lot of which happened to me, right? That's just like, I, I yeah, I wonder what it the timeline that it takes. I think a lot of it going back to the self help, you know, whatever. I think there's also like the business version of self-help, which right. I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss, but like I hate to use the four hour work week as an example, but you know, because there's a lot of really great stuff in that book, but I think it's been distilled into people having this principle of that you don't have to work hard, which of course is not what the book is about, right? But like right. When people talk about like, oh yeah, it must be nice to have a four hour work week, that there is kind of a fantasy I think that's told to us or that's sold about working for yourself. Like come to this webinar and you'll learn how to make six figures in the next blah, 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 like bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> that like I think that there's a disconnect between like that fantasy of it and then what you're talking about, like the actual reality of having to wear a lot of hats and having to build those skills over time and failure and rejection and all that stuff. And that I think right. somewhere in that gap is where a lot of, you know, people give up. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And to your point about New York and and being in contact with a lot of people, anything you say that is positive about New York, I totally subscribe to. And because I I think it's I think it's the best place in the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's funny. I wonder how I would like. I haven't lived there in a long time, but um, mm. I, my husband would never want to live there, so I don't think that's in our <laughs> future. But um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I went to college there too, so definitely got a lot from it. So yeah, I agree. It's my favorite city to visit for sure. Um, <laughs> so speaking about the different hats that you wear, have to wear, and like the things you have to do, I know one of the things that you work with people on is like helping them find their voice, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or their authentic voice. So I'm I'm curious to hear more about this, especially in a time when I feel like you know authenticity and vulnerability are like buzzwords that people kind of roll their Mm. eyes at and yet it's so important so will you talk about kind of what that means to you yeah yeah I mean to me so I I kind of like bristle a little bit and I know that it's my own verbiage as well about the term or the phrase finding your voice because I think that it doesn't really mean anything. Like what is, I I don't, at face value, it doesn't really mean anything. So to me, what that really means is, is distilling, like I had been doing all those years with those complicated medical studies, (laughs) is looking to you as a full person and, and all of the things that you've done and experienced and studied and distilling that down into a powerful message so that it distinguishes you from all the other people who are doing something similar to what you're doing out there. Yeah, that's that how, yeah, that totally makes sense. So uh, on kind of a, I don't want to say like step-by-step basis, because I know it's not like that clear cut, but either like you can give me an example for a client or like for what you went through for yourself or what you go with your own business, like what helps people get clear on that? like the process for actually doing that, right? Because everyone, I'm sure everyone's like, oh yeah, I totally want to find my voice and my story and yeah. the thing that makes me different, question mark, question mark, then what, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, so I think it's, you know, for any of us, I think it's really hard to see it from the out, from the inside in terms of what makes you unique or what you have to to capitalize on and what you can capitalize on because there are details that I'll see in a client and I'll say like that, that's something that we can talk about and play up that 
is different about you. So, and it, here's an example that I love. So I worked with a client who was a 67 year old woman who had just gone through a coach training and this was her third act in her career. She, like I said, 60, 67 had retired from her previous career um, has two grown children. Her son was about to have a, a baby, so she was going to be a grandma. And at the time, this was actually at a moment when I was, um, so like my, a lot of times with my clients, like these are spiritual relationships, like we're guided to each other for a reason, at least with my most special, I feel this way with with a lot of my my special clients, but I feel like I can point to many different special clients. So maybe they, they all fit this category in some way, but this was a really special relationship between me and this woman. So we were working together when I had, I either had, I was yeah, I was pregnant. So we were working together from the time that before I had my daughter till, till after my daughter was born and, and a few months old. And, um, because this woman was going through her coach training and we, and, and it was kind of, you know, very like weird time for me being, uh, someone who really needed to like make money because like I said, it was, I was earning the income for our household. Plus I was the mom about to have a baby. Plus I worked for myself. So I didn't have maternity leave. So I was like really pushing and it was a very difficult time for me on top of, you know, on top of like the new motherhood thing, like there was just a lot, a lot going on for me emotionally. And this woman was a really, um, valuable presence for me during that time. So through our work together, as I was helping her try to cultivate her message in her coaching business, working with me, like even just as like uh, on, on like a, a friendship level, I would talk to her about like what I was experiencing in my in my marriage and in my, you know, state as a new mother. And she realized like, oh, or I think I probably like wrenched it out of her. <laughs> like you should be a coach for new moms because Interesting. you have this, you, first of all, we, we positioned it as she's, she's a mom, but just not your mom. <laughs> so like things that you wouldn't talk about with your mom, if you're a new mom, you can talk about with her. And with all, so to get back to how we kind of like cultivate or found her voice, we realized that all of these things that she's done in her life kind of led up to this. And I think that this is true for everybody, or you can find this through line if you're looking for it. So in her previous career, she was the head of a mental health, uh, a mental health organization on Long Island and was there like public spokesperson. So she had the, she had like her, um, M MSW. She was like, she had a lot of like deep credentials in the mental health space. So that really helps, even though she was prepared to, like I was in my career prepared to just like call it a day on all of that and say like, that was my past. But I, but I, and with a lot of my clients, I encourage them. And I have another example of this too, where you really need to talk about these things because these are the things that lend a lot of credibility to your story and, and credence for what you're doing now. So she had this mental health background. She's the mother of two grown children. She is, 
you know, this very stable, unwavering, un- non-judgmental ear. So like all of these things really played into who she is and why what she delivers is different. So does that make sense yeah, in terms absolutely. of like a global example of where you can, you know, like you can spin, I use that term again, but you can massage your background and the things that you've done in the past so that it creates stepping stones that lead your audience to come to the conclusion that it is inevitable that you ended up doing what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think back to what we were talking about, about the kind of black and white options of you either flip the table and quit the job or you're <laughs> stuck there being miserable. I think the same is true with the way that we compartmentalize job and life experience, right? That it's mm-hmm. easy to think, okay, well, sit for you. Since I'm not going to be working in corporate PR anymore, that means I'm completely done with communications, yeah. like burn it to the ground, you know, for her, I'm done with this, so like complete fresh start. And it, maybe it, sometimes that's appropriate, right? And feels good. But I, this was something that I realized really in the last couple of years after like doing some soul searching and giving myself a hard time about, well, I wasted my 20s because I had all these different kind of jobs and careers. And wouldn't it have been better if I would have picked one thing and mm. gotten better and better at that one thing, which it was like, that's basically what my husband did, right? He's been like on this trajectory. And now, you know, he has it. what happens normally when you like rise through the experience levels of doing, you know, one right. thing, whereas I've had all these different careers. And I looked at that as kind of a I don't know, the story I was telling myself was that that was a negative thing. And, you know, finally kind of taking a step back and realizing that, you know, while the job description or maybe like the job title or the industry might be different, that skills are transferable and that just because you Mm -hmm. decide not to do a certain thing anymore doesn't mean that you lose all of the experience and the skills that you gained in that position and that they're that. I don't know, a lot of different things that might be seemingly really different, right? Like being the director of a children's summer camp is obviously not the same as like hosting a podcast, right? For (laughs) two examples. But there's a ton of, you know, like commonalities there between them in terms of being able to make connections with lots of different people and you just whatever this obviously Mm -hmm. could, I could talk about a lot of this, but that that it's like to your point that it's like finding the story or you know getting clear on the message is being willing to not be so skeptical and self-deprecating about your own experience like I think we have a hard time seeing the things about us that make us special mm-hmm. um, especially if those things come naturally like we we tend in our culture of you know hard work and which obviously I totally value as well to undervalue the things that maybe don't feel as hard like we don't take it seriously if right. we're let's say you are a really great listener right oh well that's just who I am that's not hard I didn't like work for that okay but that might be like a hugely important skill like for this your client of yours and her coaching right or right I don't know that there is something about being able to like actually be more objective and less critical of yourself to find like what that story is, which I think for a lot of us is really hard because I don't know, maybe we're not like used to being like, okay, like, what do I love about myself? You know, that's Mm -hmm. tough. Right. Those soft skills. I think that's the term for those. Mm hmm. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, no, I think that that's really interesting. It makes me think even I've had conversations with other, you know, self-employed people who have told me how much they hate having to write a bio or an about page. Mm-hmm. I bet you get that too, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hate writing them too. I mean, they're, for myself, it's a, it, I need to do that. I actually need to write a new one for myself because I haven't, re- it's just, you know, it's like the cobbler's son who has no shoes, but I, you know, like I feel, I feel stymied by writing about myself and I need to go to the drawing board and say like, okay, this is how I walk my clients through this. And, 
maybe, you know, I think that that act takes me, takes me out of the, like, I'm writing about myself morass and allows me to kind of approach it from a bit more of a distance. But yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to do it, do it in a vacuum mm-hmm. or so from the inside. One of the last things that I wanted to talk to you about was your show, The Pitch Podcast. Um, yeah, thank you. When I want to know kind of when and why you started it and a few things that you have learned from your guests that have stayed with you. Oh, that's awesome. So thank you. Yeah, I started the Pitch Podcast actually in various iterations. I knew I wanted to do a podcast because actually I have a, I and there's another story that's nagging at me. Can I just say it from the from the last thing we were talking of about? Of course, story okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just have one other example of how like kind of coming clean in a way in terms of your past can really serve your business and it's a story of a client of mine who is a couples counselor and he actually he has such an interesting past story where you know from so basically his story is that he was he was a pastoral minister and I'm not even exactly sure what that is but I know that it's some kind of clergy <laughs> and he um or I don't even know if that's the right word he was a pastoral minister or whatever in the church and he was married he had three children and he was going through a divorce and this was all, you know, things that I knew about his journey, but his public did not necessarily know this. He was going through a divorce and he just, it was like a midlife crisis for him. He, um, he learned that he could leave, he could leave the marriage and still be a pastoral minister in his denomination, but he would not be permitted to get remarried. So he, you know, had been going to therapy and he, over the course of years, decided that he was going to leave his position at the church. And he told his therapist that he wanted to go into counseling. And the therapist's response to him was, I've been waiting for this day. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that's like his kind of, and and since then, for about 20 years, he's developed an in-person practice. And he came to me because he wanted to bring his business more online, you know, develop a website and so forth. So, Um, when he came to me, I said, you, his name is Don, you have to tell, you, you have to tell your story. You have to tell your story about how you have had a divorce. Like his, his clients, I don't think his clients knew that he had gone through all this. And I said it in a very, like with things like that, I want my clients to know, like, you don't have to, but I think it'll help you connect with people out there if you if you reveal <laughs> if you come out so he thought about it and he was like you're right and he and he did and his so we you know we rewrote his web content to tell the more full version of his story because now he has an incredible marriage with a with a, you know his second wife where it's a really like amazing working relationship where they have really productive conversations and they have moments that are terrible and that are not productive you know like he's he is really you know living his practicing what he preaches no pun intended so 
so he, you know, we reworked his web content and we wrote about his full story and he came back to me and he was, and he, and he also told me that he started to become more forthcoming in his conversations with clients. And he said that the response has just been incredible in terms of how, you know, even people saying to him, like, you sharing that means so much to me, or it really helps me identify with you, like flat out verbalizing the exact intent behind the behind our reason for putting it out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think as well, and the reason why I wanted to share that was that this was kind of a secret. And when you have the courage to put your put yourself out there, put the things out there that you are holding on to, the energy of holding on to them also helps you know, releasing that energy helps move you forward as well. Definitely. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying about, you know, naming what's present or what's true. And I think that there's, and it might be like a subtle or a nuanced difference, but that I think sometimes people are afraid to do that. I mean, obviously we're afraid of judgment and all of those normal human things, but because they they say, well, I still want to have boundaries between my personal life and my work. I mean, you can yeah. cultivate that as, you know, like you can name your past or include it in your story or like you said, like in a very conscious way, but that doesn't mean right. that you have to like brain dump word vomit every thought, every yes. feeling all the time. Like you can still, and I'm sure you do, I'm sure your clients do, like we need boundaries just because you're not mm-hmm. sh- choosing Absolutely. not to share something. or that there's something you're not talking about doesn't mean that you're not being vulnerable or not being authentic like but it's yeah the energy of holding on to something especially when that thing could help your potential clients really connect with you that there's a difference between making that choice and then he doesn't need to like live tweet his marriage that that there is and it's like a subtle difference but and everyone has to decide for themselves what their boundaries are right exactly yeah and that's something that I also always implore my clients like you don't want to if you don't want to or you don't feel comfortable sharing something publicly then you shouldn't (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean especially if it's something you haven't processed yet or if it's yeah we it's all I mean I think that's the thing where where we get bogged down in this like culture of vulnerability and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. obviously yeah I'm all about having real conversations clearly real talk radio but that doesn't mean that everything has to be on display all the time right Right. and it's fine to share something that's like just a pretty picture on Instagram not everything has to be like your deepest darkest whatever right right um anyway yeah so podcast your podcast yes okay so thank you thanks for letting me have that interview yeah no that was great I want to actually, I totally have him on the show. (laughs) He sounds like he'd be a good guest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, oh, he would be amazing. I'll, I'll make a connection. Um, Okay. Yeah. So thank you, my podcast. So I had, I have been a podcast or I'd say like an audio consumer for a really long time before there were even podcasts. And I've like digested the entire catalog of This American Life when, you know, again, before there were podcasts when like I would go through on the website and listen to every back episode. And that was actually like a really special time in my life. I recall as like going through it every night instead of watching like CNN or whatever, whatever my routine was, I would come home from the gym and and listen. So that was like a major, that's just something that I just feel so passionately about is, is, just audio programs and the spoken word and and all that. So I I started out by just recording some like ruminations and you know in the coaching vein but then I realized that um that was you know also years ago then I realized as podcasts really started to 
upsurge that I could contribute to the conversation by having conversations with other people about what they've done to get to where they are in terms of promoting their businesses. So what I do now is I talk, so it's like part business journey, part publicity strategy session. <laughs> so I talk about, you know, where you've been and what you what you do and how you got there and, you know, what and and that's kind of what what I was articulating for you here like I I ask people cuz I really want to know also like I love the story, I love the evolution of like what makes you perfect to be doing what you're doing today. And I think that also helps people get a little bit of clarity around what their story is. So there's that part. And then I always ask what I, I ask my client, my, my clients, my guests ahead of time to think about what their publicity burning question is. And to answer the latter part of your question regarding what's something surprising that I learned, I think that was your question is that everyone no matter, you know, if I've had on like the most prolific entrepreneur I know who has a million dollar education business or a New York Times bestseller or, you know, a, a fledgling entrepreneur, everyone has a publicity goal or question, like the next level that they want to reach to. So I was actually surprised. I did an interview with a dear friend of mine who has a, a really successful business educating and talk about a niche. She educates jewelers on how to develop a business online and, or, you know, jewelry makers, um, I asked her, her name is Tracy Matthews. I asked her what her burning publicity question is. And she has a very successful business and has been in for her own jewelry, been featured in every fashion magazine and, you know, uh, across the board. And she, to my surprise, like I was actually kind of nervous to ask her because I was like, what could she possibly, you know, what higher level she, is she going to want to reach to? And she wants to be featured uh, in one of those roundups of like top, women entrepreneur, online entrepreneurs. And I was like, of course she does. And well, she should be. But like, it didn't occur to me that no matter what level at you're at, there's always that desire for the next level. <laughs> yeah, for like the growth process. Totally. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, yeah, no, I love it. So I feel like that's a good place to start to wrap up. And the way that we end these episodes are with what we call community questions. So it's a series of nine questions that Real Talk Radio listeners want me to ask each of our eight guests of a given season. So basically, all the guests this season are getting asked and answering the same kind of nine random questions. If you are, awesome. if you are down for some random questions. I love it. Uh, yes, I'm down. Okay. When was the last time that you tried something new? And what was it? Ooh, um, the last time I tried something new was, oh man, that's going to haunt me. I'm going to have to go out and try something new right now if I can't remember what it was. Okay. Well, the flip side of the flip question could be, um, like, what's a new thing that you want to try? <laughs> um, so I'm really into fitness and I, so that's why like, I'm really upset with myself that I can't answer that because I really do try to try new things all the time. So I, a new thing that I would want to try would be something in like the physical activity realm or, um, or like a sport or like, uh, one of those, like, what do they call them? 
there's like a brand name for those like trampoline places oh, where yeah. you go and jump yeah, on yeah. trampolines. That's what I would that's what I would want to do. Okay, so you will try that and report back and let me know. How okay, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. What's something that you really love about yourself? Um I really love that I really love my enthusiasm. Like I've <clears throat> I've definitely in the course of my life been told to like tone it down or like people have given me weird looks for like laughing too hard or something. And I've come to really embrace that about myself. Cause like, why, why should I bridle my passion? You know, like what I, I guess, cause it made that person uncomfortable. Then it want it like my younger self would have want, and I'm talking like middle school would have wanted to like laugh more quietly or whatever, but I'm going to, I just am embracing that. I mean, I love to hear that. And I think that's a very common, not to, you know, be too gender specific, but I do think it's a very common female thing that it's almost like the simultaneously contradictory fear of being not enough and being too much, right? Right. And so like that there's, yeah, no, I hear you. I love that. Um, So when you're getting to know someone new, what's either a favorite kind of get to know you question to ask, or what's something that you find yourself being really curious about, about lots of people? Like, what do you want to know about everyone? Ooh, Um, that's a really good question. So what do I want to know about people? I really want to know like what they, like, I really want to know what they do like physically with themselves. Like I said, I'm really into like physical activity and, and fitness, but I also want to know like what they do in the quiet moments. And I don't mean like, I guess I do mean like, what, what are you watching on TV? Actually, I have asked people that recently, like what's new on TV? Because I, I think it's fun to like hear what people are into. And sometimes it's really surprising, like a really introspective friend will tell me like her favorite thing to watch is like, is that like gladiator show or whatever. (laughs) So I think it's like telling and it's kind of comforting that like, okay, you can be all these things. You can like totally want to zone out and not think and be really thoughtful and introspective. So that makes me have to ask you, what are you watching right now? (laughs) Ooh. So one thing I watch religiously is project runway. (laughs) Okay. I really love that, but I'm also watching Westworld on HBO Go. I'm watching Divorce. I'm watching, um, I'm like slowly working my way through Downton Abbey. I didn't watch it when it was on. Um, But one thing that I really loved that I devoured, my husband and I devoured Transparent, like every time the new season comes where it's like gone far too soon. (laughs) Yeah, I love hearing what people are obsessed with, too, and what they're watching. What are you obsessed with? Um, So I tend not to watch things in real time, right? Like, I'm definitely a binge consumer of things. So, like, I'm the one who's, like, three seasons late to a show and then can catch up or whatever. Um, What am I currently watching? Um, I just finished the newest season of Chef's Table, the Netflix show, um, which is, like, hardcore my favorite. I love that so much. Um, And I am currently (laughs) completely different, currently rewatching watching for the third time um heart of dixie the old i think it was a cw show like what is it rachel that's funny someone did mention that to me at some point along the line listen i mean (laughs) like i'm obsessed with twilight and other things like it's not surprising to anyone that i like love heart of dixie but (laughs) the thing about it I, i started watching it 
I don't know, however many years ago, again, it had been on for a while, um, because I was finding myself like watching so many heavy things like Homeland. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I need something right, right. that's just like going to be light and fun. And I didn't expect to really love it as much as I did for an ensemble cast and everyone's so good. But I got like five episodes into it and I just like, could not stop watching it. It's such like a sweet, I don't know. I, I loved it. It's not similar to any of the shows that you mentioned. So I don't know if it would be your thing, but I'm a okay. big part of Dixie fan. So I'll check it out. One other thing that I wanted to mention that I think is really like layered and textured and you won't, won't feel guilty ever for watching it is Anthony Bourdain's show on CNN. Oh, yeah. Parts he's Unknown. great. Yeah. yeah. And any show that he's ever done, I feel like there's so many layers and, and textures to his reportage, which he would bristle at me calling it that. But I think that he's really insightful and he brings out interesting things. I love his writing as well. So yeah, yeah. me too. So the next question, uh, what's one thing that you know now that you really wish you had known three years ago? So what did 2013, Amanda, what would you have liked to have known? Oh my God. Well, that was like such a big year for me because it was the year my daughter was born and it was also probably like the hardest year. Um, so, oh my God, I that year I needed someone more than anything to come in and just like put an arm around my shoulder and say, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I wasn't really getting that from, I, I needed, I guess I probably needed to tell myself that. And maybe on some, I'm, I know on some level I knew that. Cause I remember during that year saying to myself, like, you're like, I literally had to like have the talk with myself. Like you're not going to shrivel up and die. Like that's not going to happen. So anything else you can, you can do it. It's Okay. Yeah. So I needed to, I, I, yeah, I think like I was probably telling myself that at the time, but I needed to, I needed to believe it. I needed to really like dig in and like, yeah, I yeah. needed to feel it. I could, I could say it. I needed to feel it. Mm-hmm. So what's one non-negotiable for you? One thing, whether it's a large thing or a small thing that it's really important for you to do every day exercise that has been the common answer this season which yeah. I guess I mean I feel the same way so I'm not surprised but yeah. <laughs> yeah it's my mental health plan as well as my physical health plan so if I could hand you an all expense paid trip for two right now where would you go and who would you bring oh man I would bring my mom and I would go to where would I go Iceland came to mind, but I would probably make it like a multi-country tour. Iceland is on my list too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, My my aunt and uncle are world travelers, so I would consult with them. I would actually one of the places that they said is the best place they ever went. Two places come to mind actually: Vietnam and Bhutan, which their chief export in Bhutan is happiness. Mm -hmm. That's what they say, literally. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. If you read happiness studies, that comes up all the time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and my uncle picked up, picks up on such interesting things in the places that he visits. So he, he would, he was telling me about how, like, at lunchtime, you see all of these messengers bringing like on bicycles, bringing the lunch that the wife made at home to the husband who will meet the bicyclist like on the other side of the ferry or something like that. Something really like quirky and interesting and old school. (laughs) So fun. Um, Yeah. 
So totally different topic. As we head into the end of the year, which I know can be a time of reflection and resolutions and goal setting, what's one goal that's on your mind for 2017? Um, I'm really prepared to go pro in my business. And that means um, investing in it, which is scary, but also a necessity. So that's that's what's on my mind is like kind of being taking calculated risks in terms of growing my business. Yeah. So talking about books for a moment, which mm-hmm. two or three books, any genre, fiction, nonfiction, anything have had the biggest impact on you or maybe that you reread or recommend the most? Um, okay. So in terms of self-improvement books or even just like philosophy, I loved the book Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock. Yep. And she also has a podcast, which is something that was like, an, she was like an early adopter of podcasts because she gives these weekly talks at her Insight Meditation Center in wherever, Bethesda, Maryland, or wherever it is. So um, Radical Acceptance, and that's where I learned about the second arrow too. So she's a, um, for anyone listening that might not know of her, she's a psychologist, but she's also a, or she might be a PhD, but she's also a, um, like a Buddhist scholar. So she brings all of these Eastern philosophical theories to bear in modern and with modern psychology, but also with a sense of humor and a lot of like great examples. So it's super duper accessible. So I love her. Radical Acceptance was the name of that book. And I actually, this came, this story came to mind for me earlier when you were talking about relating to people, I think, and and, um, connecting on a deeper level. I had a whole conversation with a woman who sat down next to me on the subway with the goldfinch in her hand. Yeah. And I just said like, I'm, I'm jealous that you're at the beginning of that book. <laughs> Cause I really love that book and I'm not a really fast reader or, you know, someone that typically reads an 800 page book. So I'm intimidated by that, but I picked up that book and I just devoured it. I thought it was so wonderful. So that's The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. And I also love, that was like kind of, it has a coming of age theme. I love coming of age novels. And another one that comes to mind is The Age of Miracles, which is kind of, I've never heard anyone else mention it. And anyone I've ever mentioned it to has never read it. And it's, it's not new agey in any way. It's kind of like science fiction a little bit and post-apocalyptic, which is also not a genre I typically get into, but it's from the perspective of a 14-year-old girl who lives in a time in the not-so-distant future where the earth has slowed its rotation. So the days become 24 hours, like 24 hours of daylight and 24 hours of nighttime. And it's a whole like societal conflict between people who observe real time and what they would be doing on a normal noon, whether it's dark or light and people who observe like day, like what they would be doing if it was light out versus what they would be doing if it was dark out, like staying home and going to sleep. So, and it's also about, so it's about that time in America when that's happening, but it's also about what's happening in her life with her parents and, um, you know, an affair that her mother's having. So it's a whole coming of age story in that setting. And I just thought it was lovely. Okay, well, I have to read that because I loved the other two that you mentioned, Radical Acceptance and The Goldfinch are both books that I loved. So I'll add the other one to my list. Um, Yeah, Age of Miracles. So the last question, when you look ahead at the next few months, what do you feel most excited about? 
Um, I am excited about, so this is, this is what comes to mind, but it's going to take place before this airs. So um, can I say it anyway? Of course. Okay. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving because I have a family ritual that I realized over the course of this year, how important it is to me. And um, it's like desperately important to me. That's how important. (laughs) Um, For 22 years, my family, and we don't have a huge family, but my aunt and uncle have hosted our entire, my dad's entire side of our family. They have, they have invited us, all of us to come to their house in Colorado. And we come from all different locations, from Ohio, from Boston, from New York, from New Jersey, from this year, Um, My sister and brother both recently landed themselves in Chicago with their families, so they don't live nearby me. My, um, we have other family that live all over the place. Another person lives in Chicago. Another person lives in, I mean, I'm sorry, in Denver. Another person lives in um, Florida. So we all converge on this one place, and it's just so special to me for everyone to get together. So I'm really looking forward to that. My sister and brother both have small children with their respective spouses. So I'm excited for all of the cousins to the little cousins to get together and through, through a confluence of events and, you know, the talk about potentially spending Thanksgiving doing something else. I like really dug in and realized how desperately important this is to me to preserve this ritual. So that's what I'm excited for. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, I love it. Um, (laughs) So for anyone listening, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Maybe what's your favorite way to connect or favorite social media or what's the best place? You can can find me on Facebook. I'm Amanda Berlin. You can also find me on Twitter at Amanda Berlin. And you can reach me through my website at amandaberlin.com. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Amanda, this was so lovely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi. Kim and I are going to play a quick three-question round of my favorite game, which is Would You Rather. So are you ready for that? I am, yes. Let's okay. do it. Would you rather have a tattoo on your face or have three different piercings on your face, none of which you could ever take out or have removed? Um, oh, boy. Um, I think I will have to go... Oh, that's tough. I don't know. I think I'm just going to go with the tattoo. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I can... Do I have any control over what it is? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I think I could come up with something that would work. Um, yeah, I'm just going to roll with that. Yeah, I like it. I know. (laughs) It's funny. When I pick these questions, like off of just like the depths of the internet, then I always Mm -hmm. am like, what would I do? What was that? And I don't know. Like, I thought that too. I'm like, well, piercings, like maybe aren't as crazy. I don't know what I would want tattooed on my face. But three piercings is kind of a lot. I don't know. (laughs) It's a tough one. Yeah, I feel like maybe like a little star or something. I don't know. It could like I turn into some sort of positive. 
kind of motto, I feel like. I don't know. Yeah. I would have take time to figure it out, but I think I can make it work. Okay. <laughs> I'm so, a tattoo person also, so. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so the next one. Would you rather be able to talk to animals or be able to speak every human language in the world? I have to go with talk to animals. That's like my dream. And I'm an animal person. I have a dog and two cats, and I just always want to know what they're thinking. I mean, the languages would be really cool too, but it'd just be so much insight into what animals are thinking and doing all day. Yeah, I agree. At first, I thought all the human languages, like you could basically just have the coolest job ever because you could interpret mm-hmm. from everyone. But then you could actually have the coolest job ever if you could talk to animals. So Right. And you'd be the only one and there's no Google Translate for animals. Exactly. Exa- <laughs> excellent point. I love it. Okay. So the last one, <laughs> would you rather be allowed to only wear clothes from the 80s or only able to wear 80s hairstyles? <laughs> um, wow. Um, I, you know, that's, I almost feel like I'd have to go, yeah, I would maybe have to go with hairstyles because I feel like we've made a lot of advances in breathable clothes and active wear or just the comfort level. I need modern day clothes but there's always hats. <laughs> so yeah, that is an excellent point. I was not sure, but you have tipped me over. That is going to be my answer. too. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so why don't you introduce yourself to the rest of the listeners real quick? Tell everyone where you live and one thing you are totally obsessed with lately. Sure. Well, my name is Kim. I live in Chicago. And one thing I'm really obsessed with lately is uh, dance fitness, um, because I feel like it's a great way to move and, uh, and get good cardio, but also it makes me super happy just dancing to ridiculous pop songs that I love from over the years. Is this, you go to a class or you do it at home? I go to a class. Yeah, actually, um, in Chicago, I go to a place called uh, Palm Squad or a, a class called Palm Squad where you actually have pom-poms, which is super fun. And just the noise of them makes me super happy. And uh, the studio where I go to that also has other classes like uh, you could take a Bollywood style dance class and, and stuff like that. And I think fitness is all about finding something that makes you happy and that helps you stick with it. And uh, I wouldn't call myself a great dancer, but I'm an enthusiast one so that's my new workout and uh yeah I love it that sounds the pom-pom thing sounds super fun that reminds me when I was in college I used to belong to a crunch fitness gym and they had some ridiculous class. like they had some really fun trampoline classes they had a cardio striptease class like I used to take all the crazy classes and that was really fun yeah I love it. I'm all about, yeah, trying new things. That sounds great. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, meaning that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and what you love about being in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got totally hooked on the podcast. I have a long commute, um, especially a particular day of the week where I'm just in my car for, you know, close to an hour there and back. And so when I started listening to the podcast, I found myself almost not wanting to get to my destination (laughs) because I was so into it. And um, just hearing, you know, from real people talking about their lives and hearing, you know, all these different points of views, just what helps us, you know, care about each other and have compassion for each other. And I feel like you can't, you know, like when you run into someone and you have a disagreement, like you think about, oh, they are coming from a different place than me. And you want to know their stories. And that's how we 
learn to see eye to eye. So I feel like the podcast just is a great reminder to me of that every day of always searching for those things in other people that, you know, are interesting and different from me. And I love being a part of a community that supports that. Oh, well, that's so fun. Thanks. I'm glad that I get to accompany you on your commute. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm also grateful that you were brave and decided to join me for this. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want 20 plus hours of bonus content, and if you want to help us reach the funding goal that we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016, so beyond the end of this season, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 